What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Welcome to the Howard Jarvis Podcast. My name is Susan Shelley. I'm the Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, the most influential taxpayer advocacy group in California. And I'm honored to be joined today, as always, by HJTA President John Kupal. How's everything in Sacramento today, John? Pretty hot, uh, but relieved that the legislative session ended early, early this morning, uh, you know, depending on where people, when people hear this, but uh, the legislature's out of session. So their ability to reach into your pocket even more is somewhat limited. So, um, you know, when the legislature's out of town, they don't do as much damage. When they're in town, <laughs> they can wreak a lot of havoc. Well, they have, they have wreaked a lot of havoc just generally. Now, the governor has been pushing them to do two separate things on opposite directions at the same time regarding electricity. One is to ramp up fossil fuel production to extend the fossil fuel uh, gas-fired power plants to generate electricity, to extend Diablo Canyon nuclear plant, which was scheduled for closure in 20. 25 and 2026 and he wants to extend that and the reason is because there isn't enough electricity in california and on hot days we have to import electricity in fact every day at four o'clock we have to import electricity as the sun starts to go down and people turn lights and appliances on at four o'clock so we don't have enough electricity and yet at the same time that we don't have enough electricity he's pushing us further down the path that made us have not enough electricity which is these goals to go more and more renewable. And the legislature is pretty much going along with it. How is this going to play out? It, it just seems like such a huge contradiction. And if you buy an electric car, can you even charge it? Yeah, good question. I think he is, uh, uh, he is being pulled in two separate directions. The first direction is the environmental movement in California is very, very powerful. Uh, and they have successfully sought to uh, accelerate some of the metrics by which California goes carbon neutral or, or accelerate those requirements, which is ironic because at the same time, uh, because of the drought, not only here in California, but also in China, their hydroelectric power is way down. So they're burning more and more coal as California uh, achieves more climate good climate goals the rest of the world is heading in the opposite direction and if climate change is truly a global issue which it is you cannot you cannot say we're going to stop uh, global warming just by what we do here in california that's foolish but our policies here are counterproductive to the overall wise use of energy one example one of the bills that unfortunately did pass was limiting where oil could be extracted here in the state of California. 
limiting the parameters of where where it could be limited, um, you know, can't be within a mile or so of a school or something like that, which is unfortunate because there's there's a lot of oil wells uh, throughout L.A. County, Kern County, and so there's going to have to be stopping of the, that particular extraction. Um, which is too bad because the oil that we extract here in California is done so in the cleanest manner possible using the most strict environmental standards, as opposed to the stuff that we have to import is not only dirty because it has to be, they don't have the same environmental rules, the shipping costs uh, is expensive as well as highly polluting. And then of course you have the issue of the places where oil is extracted around the world aren't exactly models of citizens' rights and freedom. So, you know, again, counterproductive uh, policies. Um, and but here, he, getting to the nub of it, uh, so he's being pulled in the direction of more environmentally sensitive uh, uh, policies. But he has to keep the lights on. And the reason he has to keep the lights on, yes, it's a good thing for citizens to be able to have electricity. But he knows that his plans to run for governor, to run for president would come to a screeching halt if California experiences a blackout or brownout, because other politicians will use that as an example of this is why you do not want what Gavin Newsom is selling in California to be adopted in the rest of the nation. So he's got the enviros in one ear and he's got his political people on the other ear telling him, do not ever let the lights go out in California because your political career, your ability to go higher up uh, will be severely limited. Well, that would be a good thing for America, I have to say. If, the, if his ability to move up was severely limited, that would be a helpful thing for the country because we have idiotic policies in this state. Just as an example, the governor declared, just declared as an executive order, that there shall be no gasoline-powered cars sold in California starting in 2035. And then the California Air Resources Board followed along and made rules that are not only going to ban them by 2035, but also start banning them earlier so that car companies will have to show that they are selling a larger and larger percentage of electric cars. Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is people don't want to buy them. So if you're requiring the company to sell them, but you're not creating a market for them because they're not ready yet for, for most people's use. The biggest expense of owning an electric car is the second car you have to have in case you really need to be somewhere because right. you can't count on them. And you especially can't count on them here in California because just a few days after that rule was announced, the governor declared a state of emergency for electricity and right. said no one can charge an electric car. Well, that's not exactly an ad for them, is it? No, no, it isn't. Now, what the other side is saying is, well, we just we're asking you not to recharge your car during the flex peak period, which is, I don't know, four o'clock, like nine o'clock, something like that. But that's when it may be most convenient for people. And if people are driving to a location and need to stop in at a recharge facility, what are they going to do? I, I mean, um, you know, I just saw some really snitty remarks from these uh, green greenies saying, well, 
you can set your timer so you can recharge your car between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. <laughs> well, that's it's like, convenient. <laughs> oh, okay, fine, fine. But <laughs> like I a mean, baby, like it needs its 2 a.m. feeding it, it, and you it, have to it, set the clock. Yeah, I, like, I like that. I have, <laughs> I have to use that analogy. I like that, the 2 a.m. feeding. Uh, but, you know, uh, again, get the, these policies are way out of front of what the infrastructure can handle right now. And, um, you know, the lines at recharging stations are becoming longer and longer. And remember, it, you know, when you fill up with gas, if you can pull up to a pump right now, you can get in and out of there in about 10 minutes. You can't do that with an electric car, not a, not a um, electric battery car. Now, some of us happen to believe that the ultimately the answer is going to be hydrogen cars, because number one, uh, even though hydrogen is very expensive, you can produce it in a green manner, and they and they operate far more like a traditional uh, automobile in that you can fill it with a fuel, and uh, and the best part of that is that it's completely non-polluting. But um, I don't know whatever happened to whatever happened to Schwarzenegger's hydrogen superhighway. I guess that just kind of blew up like the Hindenburg or something. I don't know. The last thing I remember him saying was F your freedom. And then I stopped listening. Yes. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of gave up on caring what he says. The the idea of banning cars, banning gas powered cars in California, first by executive order and then by regulatory rulemaking, just strikes me as such a huge policy change. And it's done completely outside of the legislative process. What do you make of this? What has happened to our governmental structure and our checks and balances in this state? Well, number one, the whole checks and balances, the uh, has completely fallen apart, but also the, the complete mindset shift of progressives, everybody else in the rest of the nation, you know, they, they try to attract people to come to their state for jobs, opportunities. There are a increasing number of legislators, um, whose policy is to depopulate the state of California. And I'm not joking. I mean, deep, complete depopulation is is maybe a little bit too extreme, but I forgot who it was. It was a Mark Stone in, a, in one of the legislative hearings saying, um, it's fine when people leave, that, that means we won't have to build as many houses or have to fill as many jobs. So he was like encouraging people to leave. It was like, uh, that makes no sense. And, uh, but that's the extreme environmental community. Of course, Gavin's kind of doing the opposite things. He says, come to California where you can enjoy your freedoms, which people hear that and they're just laugh out loud. They're like, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, thanks. No, thanks. Uh, yeah. what, what you call freedom is something we call tyranny. So no, thanks. Well, I think that commercial that he ran in Florida showed a picture of Santa Monica beach and it must have been taken during the pandemic because there was no one on it. It was this huge expanse of sand on a beautiful day and nobody there. And that's his picture of freedom. That's when they were arresting people for walking on the beach and going in the surf. They were arresting people for being on the beach. And yes. he says that's a picture of freedom. Something's just wrong in this state. <laughs> so I, I have this vision of backpacking in the high Sierras by myself you know, with nobody within 50 miles and some black helicopter comes over and they say, where is your mask? (laughs) (laughs) That 
actually happened in California. Yeah, yeah it did. It did. And that happened in, in, in the Los Angeles area. There were people who were on hiking trails and the mayor went on television and said, we know who you are. What do you yeah. mean you know who they are? Yeah. It's that. And apparently that was some sort of a reference to cell phone tracking. And uh, they, you know, not very bright to tell everybody they're doing that, but that's what they did. They told everybody they're doing yeah. that. And now he can't get confirmed as ambassador to India. So karma is karma. slow. Karma is something else. I it, is, say it, it is. It is slow. <laughs> <laughs> it gets there eventually. Yeah, yes. So there, there were a bunch of laws that didn't make it. Uh, Senator Hertzberg tried again to get his oh, zero bail, oh, yeah. his zero bail bill that the voters rejected in a referendum, uh, and he tried to get that through again, but didn't quite make it over the line. It's hard to believe he's still pushing zero bail after it's rejected by the voters, after all of this stuff with the DAs being recalled or almost recalled and uh, still pushing for that. It, I, I think it's time to give up on it. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. He's running for supervisor in Los Angeles. I'm not sure which district is, is you probably know that, but can I, is is it possible he thinks that the voters of the district of the supervisorial district that he's running in don't want cash bail? I mean, that is that sounds insane, given the level of crime that's out there right now. And the other humorous thing about this whole incident, as you remember very well, is that he jams the thing through the legislature. There is a referendum which he loses badly because the voters of the state of California rejected the law by voting no. When in a referendum, you put the law before the voters and they could say, yes, we like it. No, we don't. Voters voted no. Well, what was his answer? Was his answer to, well, I need a better job of convincing voters why this is such a good idea. His response was no. He was complaining. He was whining. Well, the whole referendum system uh, we should change it so a yes vote means no and a no vote means yes. <laughs> and and like changing the law that's been there for a hundred from since 1911, changing the law, uh, you know, and so his answer was to screw up the direct democracy. So uh, it was just it was humorous. So to see this thing die, um, it died the the death it so richly deserved. Well, he won't be in the legislature anymore. So unless somebody else was very committed to it, I think that is a dead issue in Sacramento. We can hope. <laughs> we can hope. We can hope. And something else that died to the boos and hisses of the gallery was the unionizing of the Capitol staff. That was interesting. Now, here's this legislature that's trying to force all of these union friendly policies on every business in California, even as these businesses flee. This legislature is so progressive that they decided that freelance work was a sin and must be illegal in California. So they banned freelance work, except for the exceptions from the very well connected who got exceptions. Well, you pay them enough and they'll draw you an exception. There you go. And that's what they did. And this that's was Assembly did. Bill 5, AB5, right. which it it outlawed independent contracting in California yep. and, and knocked a lot of people's careers right off their pins. And so this legislature is so union friendly. The reason that that's a union friendly policy is because unions can't organize independent contractors. They can right. only organize payroll employees. And so the idea was that you ban independent contracting, you force all these companies to put people on payroll, which doesn't happen because what happens is they just don't hire them and they do without them. 
which yeah. is becoming easier and easier as technology advances. Technology becomes less expensive, labor becomes more expensive. Where does that meet? It meets at high unemployment and low wages in California. So that was going on and the, the legislature was doing everything, even making union dues a tax credit. Right. So, so that people, it's in the budget that now if you pay union dues, you get a tax credit for that. Not, not just a deduction, but an actual credit for paying yep. union dues. And yet, when the Capitol staff members decided they wanted to be unionized, suddenly, suddenly these lawmakers didn't think it was such a hot idea. And the bill died. What's the story there? The story there is the story is under H in the dictionary called hypocrisy. <laughs> you know, it's good for thee, but not for me. You know, the, you know, I actually enjoyed watching this whole disaster unfold because it really put them on the spot. They they claim to be union friendly. They jam these labor laws down the throats of businesses. And yet when their own employees want to collectively bargain, they say, no, 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 no. Because, because as legislators, we're special. We're special. <laughs> it would be inconvenient and for us to have, it to, would be very have to be restricted by a bunch of union rules when we need uh, flexibility. Oh, I know. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, at the end of the day, it was a horrible bill and, and we, we would we would oppose it. But I get the argument of the legislative employees because they are, they're treated like slaves. Let's face it. A lot of the staff members are grossly mistreated some of them are treated very well and they have good collegiality within those offices and by the way those offices you you think that a uh state senator has what six or seven employees no they have about a dozen uh, and that doesn't even include their district office so these people have a lot of employees and um and they just uh uh and of course and of course uh these same individuals are used for campaigning. Now, technically speaking, they're supposed to keep track of their time between campaigning activity and the state business. Now, does anybody think that they actually apportion the amount of time they spend on politics versus the amount of time they they uh, spend on doing the people's business? Nobody believes that, but everybody, you know, you go out and you look at who's knocking on doors during a political campaign, those more than likely are legislative staffers who are technically on off time. I'm on vacation. I'm taking compensatory, compensatory time off. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. I mean, we, the taxpayers, are paying to have legislative staffers campaign on behalf of mostly progressive politicians. Why do they need a dozen staffers? Is there is, do they do that in other states? That seems so excessive. No, it's very excessive, and and it is um, uh, not typical in other states. I just heard a radio broadcast from from uh, a guy who's the Speaker of the House in Mississippi, which, by the way, they have a huge budget surplus in Mississippi. It's a poor state, uh, but um, uh, but they meet three months a year. They go, yeah, we meet three months a year. We get stuff done, and then we go home. We go home to face our constituents. We go home to, to engage in real employment, and when they're in session, they get paid some pittance, uh, maybe, maybe a few hundred bucks every year. Very different than California's so-called, I'm using air quotes, professional legislature. Well, a professional legislature is professionally corrupt, in my view, and, and uh, I really like the Texas model where, they, where they're, they're a part-time 
legislature, but they have a two-year cycle, so they will pass laws in one cycle, and then the other, the other year they use for oversight. I know the word oversight is a rare word used here in California, but we would, we would love to have uh, programs that have been long adopted uh, judged against whether or not they're performing as promised. And if not, in Texas, they establish metrics for government programs. And if they do not meet those metrics, the program goes away. Now, that is a novel concept. That's a great idea. We could really use that in California because what we have here is we just layer on new programs. And if you oppose them, they say, well, you must be in favor of whatever the problem is. Yeah. Illness, disease, some potholes. You're in, you're in favor of some terrible thing if you oppose the latest new tax to fight it. And really, you have to go back and say, well, what about the last six tax increases that were supposed to fix this before? What happened to this program and that program and some other program? They don't want to talk about that. Yeah. What happened to all the homeless money after all the taxes passed, the, the budgetary appropriations? What happened? And now now they're coming back in, in L.A. seeking more money. Uh, I mean, I, I hope voters wake up. I, I think they may on this. I think this election cycle may be very interesting to see what voters do. Well, after all this talk about budget surpluses and record amounts of COVID relief money coming in from the federal government and all the rest of it, Los Angeles has two tax increases on the November ballot in the city. One is a huge new tax on real estate sales, and the other is a huge new tax on your property for parks. And it isn't really just for parks. The story on this is quite interesting. Back in the Great Recession, about 12 years ago, the city decided they were going to charge the Department of Parks and Recreation for all the city services that everybody else got for free in the city departments. So all of a sudden, Parks and Rec have to pay for water and power. They have to pay for trash pickup. They have to pay for various personnel services and other things that are just part of the city budget. So what, what happens with that is about 40% of the budget goes back to the city. And the budget for the Recreation and Parks Department is mandated in the charter. It's in the city charter that they get a fixed percentage of the property tax revenue. And the property tax revenue goes up every year. So what the city council did is they found a way to take a bunch of that money out of the budget. Like I said, about 40% of it. And then what happens? The parks deteriorate. And then they do a 1,000-page report about all the repairs that are needed. And then they write a tax increase. And here's where it really got messy. After they decided they needed to raise $2.1 billion to repair the parks, and oh, by the way, also for the Olympics, because we have Olympic venues that need to be upgraded before the 2028 Summer Games, which we're hosting. So now we've got this parks tax increase to replace the money they've taken out improperly to pay for the Olympics. They didn't tell us about that in advance when they bid on the games. And now they've added a bunch more projects to it, including this massive L.A. River project. The idea of this is to turn the concrete channel into parkland from one end to the other, and it's going to cost $1.6 billion at last estimate. So that's going to be paid for by this parcel tax. And it would cost every property owner $84.14 per thousand square feet of your home. And if you're an apartment building owner, 
$84.14 per thousand square feet of your building for a business, a supermarket. It's going to raise taxes. It's going to raise prices. It's just crazy to pay for these lavish vanity projects like the LA River and the Olympics. And they're pretending that they need the money just to repair the parks. And I've, I've, just, I've just had it with this kind of deceit. You yeah. know, if you, if you want a tax to pay for the LA River, go to the voters and say, here's our project. Here's our watercolor drawing of what it's going to look like. We want to raise your taxes to pay for it and see how that goes. But yeah. this idea that they're going to say, oh, there's asbestos in the parks and we have to take it out. Here's your tax increase. By the way, I looked at that thousand page report and I searched for the word asbestos. One pipe in Northridge has asbestos in it. One pipe. And this well, is a $6.8 billion tax. Well, that's $1 billion right there. <laughs> Probably is. <laughs> so that's one. Of <laughs> how, many, how many city workers does it take to change one asbestos pipe? One asbestos, $6.8 billion for 30 yes. years. For, for 30, 30 years, years yes. to fix one asbestos pipe. Yeah, it's, it's outrageous. Yeah. Well, you know, this, this, this whole thing that you touched on, um, which is the transfer of money from one pot to another. This happens all the time. It happens a lot with enterprise activities within a municipality like sewer, water, and refuse collection. Those, those services can uh, charge a city for, um, or the city can pay for um, IT services, legal services, those kinds of things. So you have you have these transfers. But interestingly enough, the federal government, when it looks at grants to give the states and local governments, have these formulas by which they try to limit these transfers in order to qualify for federal funds. So sometimes looking at some of the federal guidelines is a good way to see if these local governments are in compliance by not shifting it too much. We caught the city of Sacramento with its pants down around its ankles by transferring a lot of the utility uh, user funds to things like buying property for a car dealership. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, uh, and the, the only reason we caught them is because the former head of the utility department was unfairly fired and that guy had an axe to grind. So he dumped on the grand jury this 200-page report on all the illegal activity within the Department of Utilities. And so we looked at, I read it, we sued like that afternoon and the next day the city attorney calls us and says, name your price. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we have no defense. We have no defense. So we crafted a settlement uh, that uh, forced the city to disgorge millions of dollars that were uh, illegally taken from ratepayers to supplement the city's general fund. That was a fun, but unless you have someone on the inside who's willing to drop a dime uh, or send the brown envelope, it's very hard to track this stuff. Well, we had the FBI raid the LADWP and the city yeah. attorney's office, but that yeah. was like 2019 and we're still kind of waiting. There've been yeah, a few they're too busy pleas. on Mar-a-Lago right now. Yeah, they are. There've been a few guilty pleas and yeah. there've been some, some people have I think been sentenced or maybe they're still cooperating because yeah. this, we have one city council member who's going to go on trial, Jose Wezar, mm -hmm. and another one who's uh, set for trial this fall, I think, 
who uh, Mark Ridley Thomas, who was indicted for stuff that he did while he was on the county board of supervisors yeah. and the city council, as soon as he was indicted, the city council suspended him. And he said, you can't do that because what I'm accused of doing, I didn't do while I was on the city council. I'm accused of doing something while I was on the county board of supervisors. So you have no jurisdiction. Nonetheless, yeah. he's been suspended. The controller stopped paying his salary. Everybody's suing everybody. And and they there can't was, they can't decide on a replacement. Is what and I they can't decide on a replacement. There's a lot of power plays going on on that. Uh, initially, a former city council member, Herb Wesson, was appointed to fill that, but he's already termed out. So a court said he couldn't do it. So he had to leave. And now they have it vacant again. Somebody was a was nominated, I guess, by the president of the city council, and there weren't enough votes to seat her as a voting yeah. member. It's just it's. It's a little slice of heaven here in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. It's All a train wreck. Very well. It's a train wreck. Speaking of train wrecks, you, we have high speed rail, which will never get off the ground, but that's another subject. So we've probably. Yeah, should... they've, they've taken the 4 billion plus that was left in the bond authorization and they've sent it up to Madera to get it down to Bakersfield. And yeah, they think that's a great plan for transportation in California. I, I don't see how anyone would have voted to spend this kind of money to build a bullet no, train between no, Madeira it's, and it's not it's not as it was promised and it, just two weeks ago uh, i drove right by all those concrete huge edifices like they're three stories high it's where they're going to put the tracks and it's like i look at that and i think number one i think number one of the cost number two i think of the fact that it will never be complete which is what every international transportation expert tells us that it will never be complete. But then I think about all this posturing on greenhouse gas emissions. And I think how, how much greenhouse gas emissions were dumped in the air during the construction process of this boondoggle. And, you know, it's a, this project is a three way loser. And, uh, but, you know, we tolerate it. it. It, it can, this kind of, Waste, fraud, and abuse continues here in the People's Republic. Well, it has very powerful supporters, yep. and uh, they're just robbing the taxpayers. There's no other way to say it. This is just a big insider game. And because it's an insider game, you listening to this podcast should be a member of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association because we'll keep you posted on what's going on. We do what we can to stop these the worst of these excesses from burdening you and stealing your money. And we are here to fight for you, the taxpayer in California. We fight in the courts. We fight on the ballot. We fight in the legislature. We fight in the streets. You can count on us. So join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association at hjta.org. Sign up for the free email alerts. We'll keep you posted about the upcoming election, the ballot measures. We have lots to say about all of it. It's going to be a busy year and we're yep. here for you. Go to hjta.org and join the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. That's going to do it for us today. I'm Susan Shelley, Vice President of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. For John Kupal, President of HJTA, thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us.
Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count.